So, central question of season three of Lost is this. What does it mean to be a Losty, and what does it mean to be an other? Hmm. Because we get a huge exploration as to, like, literally, like, who the others are, what their backgrounds are, and things like that. But the more important thing is we get a fundamental question that shifts up the groups and the dynamic of the entire show from here on out, which is, what does it mean to be a Losty, and what does it mean to be an other? And at first, it meant you were somebody who came onto this island via Oceanic 815 versus somebody who's been on this island for a long time. That's what I meant at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, I think it shifts to being you want to get off this island versus you want to stay on the island. Mm -hmm. That's what it means. Because you see Julia and Locke as like the key cases for shifting allegiances from one group to another. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important fundamental shift for what it means to be in that core group of characters that we're following and then there's the other characters that we're learning more about. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the group that we're with is not just the people who crashed, but the people who want to get off this island. But then we're also learning about this whole group of other people that are, for some reason, wanting to stay on this island. Mm-hmm. And all the mysteries therein. And uh, there are a lot of mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> I really feel like this season is where a lot of the island mysteries really start to amp up mm-hmm. because we are getting this um, to continue using the um, the Wizard of Oz metaphor that they use like throughout the season. Yeah. We're finally getting that peek behind the curtain as to getting more information about who the others are and what their role is mm-hmm. on the island. And, of course, that just opens up all of the, the island mystery can of worms. Yeah. Whereas before, we were kind of just focused on, you know, the the mysterious kind of healing powers that the island has, and, and the smoke monster, and kind of the vision quests that a lot of people had. But now it's... Oh, so the the island simultaneously heals some people and kills pregnant women, and there's the others who are not necessarily all island natives mm-hmm. that I, as a viewer, had originally thought mm-hmm. that somehow there were just natives on the island and they were the other, but no, these are people that have, most of them have also come from outside. Actually, we found out that all of them have come out from the outside. Mm-hmm. The only one who's claiming to be an exception was Ben, and we find out that he's a liar, too. So, none of these people were born in Bornstein, which is part of the whole pregnancy right. problem. But, uh, yeah, it's... The the kind of really fundamental shifts in a lot of ways, which you just touched on, which is that we've been seeing, for the first two seasons, everything from completely the perspective of the 815 survivors. Mm-hmm. And that includes the island, and that includes the others which were called the Others. Mm-hmm. And then now we even get to see them being labeled as something different, like in the past when the Dharma Initiative were around, they were labeled as the Hostiles or the Natives. Mm-hmm. And you have also this fundamental shift, and I think what we see is the island from almost... We're starting to see the island a little bit from its own perspective, and then we're starting to see it from like the perspective of somebody that's not just the Losties. Right. Like somebody who's just like, oh, we're trying to survive here and we don't know things about it but like the others basically I'm still just going to call them that at Mm -hmm. this point they know shit about this island Mm -hmm. like they know most of the mysteries of it 
and they're just kind of still keeping it from other people because they view them as sort of unworthy mm-hmm. and things like that to know these kind of things. And you see that as far as like the hierarchies even within their group as far as who knows what. Right. You know, even within their group, I think it's very clear that um, it's supposed to be thought that only basically Ben and Richard would have ever seen Jacob before and everybody else has just only ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. But that even then, I think it seems like Jacob has been extremely absent for a very long mm-hmm. time because and this is kind of filling in some gaps from things we know later on but it's the smoke monster who has been the only one who's ever had like direct interactions with Ben because mm-hmm. we see in Ben's flashback he sees his dead mom in the forest yeah. and that's a smoke monster you know mm-hmm. basically luring him to eventually manipulate him later on and kill off the Dharma initiative so yeah like his entire association with different things that he probably thinks are Jacob Mm-hmm. are not Jacob. So even he is deeply misled yeah. as far as to what the truth is on this island. So it's it's very interesting too because then also from like a historical perspective of you know, who's reigned when on the island and whatnot, season three is culminating in the final war that leads to the toppling of Ben mm-hmm. as the leader of the others on the island. You know, he gets defeated in his war against Jack and the A15ers basically. Everybody who wants to escape off the island. Because, right. um, yeah, he's trying to do everything he fucking can to prevent this from happening, but then, like, Juliet kind of as, like, the final betrayal along with, like, Alex's betrayal. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of these kind of things that I really like that are sort of um, very natural, like, uh, consequences of the way that he led his tribe mm-hmm. is that he was such a deceitful motherfucker that was, you know, taking advantage of people that Right once somebody had the opportunity to flip it on him, they were going to. Yeah. Because he didn't build any, like, actual loyalty and love and trust with these people so that when he was vulnerable, they didn't help him if they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, we see with the Losties, like, they are constantly trying to help each other when they can or when they need to. Like, even, you know, we see this whole storyline for the whole season of, like, Desmond trying to prevent Charlie from dying all these times mm-hmm. because he keeps seeing it happening and then his culminating philosophy he thinks is well maybe the reason I keep seeing this is because I'm actually supposed to save you like that's his end thought on it kind of and then of course Charlie also kind of has the same thought which is why they both kind of succeed and get so far is because they're willing to sacrifice for each other Mm -hmm. on a way that Ben didn't ever build that loyalty with anybody no he definitely ruled with the kind of what I'm going to consider stereotypical, authoritative mm-hmm. methods, right. right, of lies and fear and in that kind of cult manner of I know things that you don't know and you're just not going to know those things until you're proven worthy. Right. And even then, if he deems you worthy, really you don't know if what he's telling you is true or not. Mm-hmm. And so then so many of these people have to just listen to him on blind faith. And really, I think he got caught or is starting to get caught in his web of lies. Mm-hmm. And yep. so people are just not listening to him anymore because they're like, this is like the fifth time that I've caught you in a lie to me. Mm-hmm. So how do I know that anything that you ever tell me is true? Right. And therefore, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to do what I feel like I need to do in this situation. Yeah, it's, he always has to stay, like, you know, several steps ahead of everybody. Yeah. Just to make sure that they can't do that. But, yeah, eventually, 
shit eventually fell apart. You know, you can only maintain that kind of a thing for so long. Mm-hmm. And uh, it did crumble down eventually. With um, so interestingly enough, I think as far as you're talking about with the way that he sort of um, interacts with people, and also I think the kind of way that he came to those conclusions made a lot of sense based on his upbringing. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, he had this tragic story of like you know, his mom dying and then of course after that his dad being like an abusive piece of shit who blamed him for his mom's death his whole life like that definitely didn't help at all mm-hmm. and then on top of that him having this kind of like notion of being special with the seeing his dead mom in the forest and then running into Richard later on and then Richard kind of like helping to foster that mm-hmm. I think in a lot of very interesting ways where like he and Locke are direct shadow parallels of each other mm-hmm. like Ben and Locke because then also in episode wise back to back episodes we see Locke presented with the opportunity of here is your father look at all the terrible shit that he did to you mm-hmm. and Ben's talking from the perspective of I've killed my own dad so I know what's up man yeah. I'm telling you to do the same thing and then Locke doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and gets Sawyer to do it. Which also, this is a, another perspective. I'm going to come back to this on Locke. But this is a culmination of the fact that with the whole hunter-farmer test that Locke goes on and on about. <laughs> yeah. Locke is the farmer. Yes. And one of his char- like central character struggles is that he can't accept that. Yeah. But anyway, so Ben, you know, when presented with the same opportunity of, you know, I have the opportunity to kill my father to join a different special group uh yeah I'm definitely gonna do it because my dad's a piece of shit and it's not even like somebody else presented with this this opportunity to me and then I have to make a snap decision this is a very premeditated Mm -hmm. he put together a giant genocide mass gassing so he killed not just his dad but he killed all those people who were associated Mm -hmm. with his dad who even represented that power structure because he wanted to be with somebody who validated him Mm -hmm. you know who was going to be there with his dead mommy and things like that and so he failed the same test that Locke passes in that when you are in control finally because basically I think the essence of that test right is you're the one who's been on the bottom and has been persecuted for all this time Mm -hmm. now you have the opportunity to flip the script what do you do and when Ben has the power he goes cruel very very immediately and because if he had just killed his dad that would have been something different but the fact that he genocided the fucking dharma initiative Mm -hmm. is like really telling but then Locke, like he still won't even just knife this guy and that's actually i think that is a part of a weakness in him but i don't know i guess that's my own personal bias because i'm just more of a hunter person but i think that shows the sort of strength in him that he is so unwilling to take a life that I guess he feels has some redeeming value Mm -hmm. or something or he's just so hesitant to kill somebody in general that he just wouldn't do it even then and so he has to go this roundabout kind of a way which the the important way that I think that this passes and it culminates and shows the strength of his character is that in the finale when he's there with Jack Mm -hmm. and he knows like I have to stop him from doing this like this is going to be bad in the same way that Ben knows it but if Ben had the gun like he just would have shot Jack right. like, there was no question but Locke doesn't shoot Jack mm-hmm. you know he doesn't do it because his strength in the end is constantly sort of like I think bringing strength to others and helping them mm-hmm. kind of grow because ironically in the same way that like you know he never had a good father figure and he 
has kind of been plagued by that and trying to find that through his shitty father figures and through the island and things like that. The thing that's great about that is he's kind of become this weird alternative figure that he can kind of fill in for people who have daddy issues. Yeah. To kind of be this, like, very loose, like, I can kind of be a father figure, but I don't have to be domineering towards you. Mm -hmm. And I think he only was able to cultivate that personality from being a guy who never had a father figure. Yeah. And so that is his strength as the farmer, in that he plants seeds in other people and mm -hmm. helps them to grow. But that's not a thing that's valued in our culture, right? So right. that he has this insecurity of, oh, I have to be the hunter. Which is like, really, if we're going to talk about who's the fucking hunter in this tribe, it's Saeed. Yes. Saeed is the hunter. So much so that his entire, really, his biggest character struggle is the guilt he feels over being such a good hunter. Yeah. Like, Damn. Yeah, if, if they weren't kind of the exact opposite. And actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one other shadow character parallel for you, and then I want to hear your thoughts on some things. Okay. I would say that also Juliet is a weird shadow of Locke in that when you compare their relationships with Jack, mm -hmm. like with Jack being kind of like very much the de facto sort of like alpha leader kind of guy who really needs a good support to kind of call him out on his shit. And Locke does know a lot of what's wrong with Jack, but their direct relationship doesn't work well because Jack has super daddy issues. Yes. And anybody who presents himself as like a father figure, and Locke is an older guy. Mm -hmm. And just the other thing to kind of feed into that dynamic in that last moment of like Locke deciding not to shoot Jack in the same way that I think that's exactly the echo of Jack or Locke not shooting um, Eddie mm -hmm. in his flashback because in both situations he's looking at a younger guy who he views as misguided, whose actions are about to destroy the community that he lives in. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't kill them because he knows that they're just misguided. And, you know, in the same way that he can't basically call him out because he is an older guy, because Jack won't respond to it. Um, Juliet is a woman. Mm -hmm. So basically a lot of the same sort of things that Locke could say, if Juliet just says it, Jack is going to be a lot more responsive. Yep. And so that kind of helps, I think, open Jack up in a little bit in certain ways and show sort of his character complications. And also shows uh, an interesting... I think there's a series of characters in this show that show, like, the important role of, like, a good second or, like, a good supporting person. Mm -hmm. That'd be, like, Locke, that'd be, like, Juliet, that'd be Richard Alpert. Like, I think a lot of them really show how much, like, if you really like get in that support role and if you do it well you can bring out a lot in somebody else and mm -hmm. fix a lot of their flaws yeah and so I don't know so I want to hear your thoughts on things I have some kind of broader thoughts that I wanted to start with mm -hmm. um since we're kind of focusing on Jack and this whole like um farmer versus hunter idea mm -hmm. I really feel like Jack's toxic masculinity is just spewing all over the place all the time in this season. Oh, yeah. Like, his... Like we, we could definitely see the beginning of his kind of downfall last season, but I feel like this season it is kind of spiraling out of control. Yes. And actually, uh, so from an uh, from an artistic perspective, you know how like they very much pay attention to like colors and what colors yeah. people are wearing. So you know, like in season one, Jack wears a lot of white. Mm -hmm. In the season finale here, when Jack is making the call and when he's wearing blue. Mm -hmm. So blue, 
it kind of in between of white and black, but I think it's also very chaotic. It's sort of like maelstrom it's in the water. But most importantly, then, in the flash forwards, you know he's always in the suits, in yeah. black. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like he's, like you're <laughs> saying, in the middle of that downswing, sort of. Yeah. It's, it's really uncomfortable for me to watch. Mm-hmm. And especially since this is my second time through the show, and I was you know, a teenager when I first watched it. And I was definitely in the camp of like, no, Jack's supposed to be the good guy. And he's just like, I had a lot of excuses for him in my head, mm-hmm. like why he was acting the way he was acting, but I still wanted to root for him. Mm-hmm. But now as an adult watching this show, I'm like, Jack, you're just awful. <laughs> you're just awful in every way and shape that I could possibly conceive of you. Because of your prolific daddy issues mm-hmm. and your twisted Jesus complex of like, I have to fix and save everybody. Mm-hmm. And so he like puts everyone in one of these two camps of either I have to fix you and control you or I have to fight against you. Right. Mm-hmm. And then just how much that comes out when he's in this you know when he's captured by the others and trying to manipulate this situation to be the most advantageous that he can Mm -hmm. and just constantly yelling and telling everybody what to do as if he has some sort of authority and everyone's like what are you stop what are you doing that nobody's listening to him anymore, which I think just makes him yell even louder. And then especially in the last several episodes when they're coming up with the season finale plan, like, okay, so this group has to go push the switch to stop the jammer, and this group needs to stay behind and trap the others, and this group needs to go to the radio tower, like, blah, blah, blah. He's just... Again, like, Mr. Authoritative. Okay, this is what we're doing. You're doing this and you're doing that because I told you to do it. Mm-hmm. So just shut up and do it. And anytime anyone has a differing opinion, he's just like, nope, that's not what we're doing. We're doing what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> God, you're just getting to be so insufferable. Yeah, because I feel like with, with season three, oh. Jack, for me, like, the end of season three, I really did not like Jack for a lot of those reasons. Like, yeah, just his kind of over-authoritativeness, especially just like coming back in when people don't trust him for good reason because he's, like, hiding shit from them that he doesn't need to be. Uh, but, like, beginning of season three, Jack, when he's, yeah, just, like, taking control of the surgery situation and getting them out, like, I fucking love... I think that's, in my opinion, that's peak Jack. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's that's him, like... That's, that's like, playing off all of the... Uh, the poker stuff from before mm-hmm. with like his ability to manipulate people and kind of read them and like that was him playing that situation and his cards to maximum efficiency mm-hmm. and I thought that was awesome that, that in my opinion that is yeah peak Jack from the entire show but then yeah he I think he quickly rides that down pretty bad because I think what happens is like he played it so well and he was about to get out Mm-hmm. And then Locke fucking steals it out from under him at the last second. And then I think at that point, he gets the same kind of desperation that, uh, like, Ben has in this, like, very dark, toxic way. Mm-hmm. That, like, in the same way that Ben will literally do anything to keep his power mm-hmm. as his reign is falling apart. Like, at that point, Jack is like, I will do anything to get this off this fucking island. Because before, back in season one, when they had first crashed there... 
Remember when there was like the huge argument about going to the caves versus staying yeah. on the beach? He was the one that was gung-ho about like, guys, we need to fucking just survive. We need to get to the caves. Yeah. We can't just be like all about gung-ho getting off the island first. And look at how much he's changed. Yeah. You know, because it was that close. He almost had it and then it got snatched away from him. Mm-hmm. And he's so... He just mar- can't lose. Yeah, he can't lose. And that's mm-hmm. that, and that goes back to at the end. Then like, why doesn't he just fucking kill Ben when he had the opportunity? And he's like... Because I want him to see us get off the island, and then I'll kill him. It's like, really, dude? That's the reason? Like, Jesus Christ, you are so insane. Yeah. Like, I get it, but, like, if you're going to be that way, just let somebody who's more stable go kill him right now. Because if there's not a useful reason for him being alive, it's dangerous for this guy to be alive. Yeah, like, clearly Jack has never watched a James Bond movie. Or he would know, you kill the guy when you have the opportunity. You don't just hang on to him until later, because it will inevitably bite you in the ass. Or, like, actually, I mean, he could have done a thing, like, you know, take Ben hostage and, like, tell them, like, hey, look, you better not kill my dudes or I'll kill Ben. Like, I don't know, he could have pulled something like that, but whatever. Yeah, he... He got so... And that's part of his problem, too, is, like, he's so singularly focused on one thing, right? Part of the God complex. Like, mm-hmm. if he doesn't achieve that one thing, then, like, that's... He, he has to focus on that because failure's not an option. Yeah. And so getting off the island is that thing. Instead of keeping my people safe now, it's getting my people off the island, mm-hmm. which Locke is trying to tell him is a misguided concept. And it's like, look, man, like, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Put the phone down. <laughs> But Jack is like, nope, fuck you, man. I'm doing my thing. And then, yeah, we see... And I love, too, the way they frame it, right? That we see immediately as part of the, the consequence of it. At this point, like, if you haven't figured out that's a flash forward, you're really not paying attention. But yeah. at this point, like, now you have to know because he sees Kate and he's like, well, we haven't saw Kate. And then he's telling her, we have to go back. Yeah. So we know immediately, narratively, it's like, oh, yeah, this was a mistake. Mm-hmm. But now we have to figure out why. Yeah. And of course, having seen the show already, we know why, but yeah, from just the season three perspective, it's like, oh, what the, why, what happened? Yeah. Coming back. Also, too, just a very small detail before you go in, and that exact moment, notice how Jack didn't even bother to check on Naomi after she got knifed. He went right for the phone first. Yep. Like, yeah. Toxic Jack. (laughs) Yep, Toxic Jack. I don't even care about being a doctor now. Just get her people off the island and be a hero, man. Yep. I don't care about... Yeah. I think that's that's kind of the, the key twist there. Is I don't oh, yeah. care about being a doctor anymore. Mm-hmm. I care about being a hero. Well, yeah, because I guess that's, that's always been the doctor thing too, right? Because it's part of the legacy, but also part of the hero thing. And yeah. he... I think it's like, despite his best efforts, people do keep dying on the island. So it's like, I need to get them off the island. That's how I'd be a hero. Yep. Yeah. But bouncing back over to Locke, mm-hmm. I Locke is one of my favorite characters in the show, mm-hmm. and I got really frustrated in season two watching him and his like faith test shakiness, mm-hmm. and also for some reason all of the like wise man mojo that he had in the first season just like disappeared in season two, which I thought was weird. Mm-hmm. But in season three, he has it back. Mm-hmm. And I really like well, that's, that's him the, with his wise man mojo. Yeah. I think that's the culmination of his uh, character arc with Echo, like learning from Echo. Because mm-hmm. uh, before, like when he first got to the island, he was like 
kind of following a lot of the signs and a lot of the root of why he had his mystic mojo at that time was because he was so like high on like having gotten his legs back mm -hmm. and feeling like the island has chosen him having seen the light and the smoke monster and then that culminated in his opinion at least in the hatch yeah and then the hatch was the button and then he found out that that was a fucking lie or he thought he found out that that was a lie so it was like this huge thing of like, all right, I finally found this purpose. I'm so focused on it. But then like that was starting to slowly whittle away until it felt like it was finally a lie. And then he had this huge crisis of faith, mm -hmm. which, you know, was also kind of involving Echo. And then afterwards, there's the whole clean up your mess, which yeah. is the beginning of this season. I'm happy to go save Echo. And then I think basically the idea was right, like re-internalize his faith. Yes. Rather than having it be ex like... Uh, What's the word? External. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of believing in himself. And then Evie, yeah, because it is like a really weird little moment that kind of helps re-inspire his faith when he's like hammering in Echo's thing. And it's like, uh, what is it? Like lift your eyes and look north or mm -hmm. something like that. And it's like, oh, well, that's the word. That's where to go. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? And then I remember Saeed being like, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> our, our heading is a, from the way that the light hit Echo's stick. <laughs> Which is very Saeed, right? He, yeah. Saeed is nowhere in yeah. the faith world, right? He is firmly in the practicalities of being a hunter and surviving. Like, that's yeah. his... Yeah. Even though, like, as far as actually most of the characters, he is the one who actually explicitly has, like, ex like practices his faith more than anybody else. Yes. Like, being a practicing Muslim, you actually see him pray a couple of times. He yeah. brings up in the first season, like burial rites mm -hmm. and how important it is for Muslims to be buried not burned mm -hmm. like but yeah as far as like actual like faith and kind of taking those leaps like nope yep. <laughs> he's he's the hunter he's the warrior like he deals with what he can see except for then there's kind of those like intuition things that he can feel but that's that's based on like things that you can kind of like see as far as inconsistencies in people right like yeah. yeah like when he figures out that like mikhail is lying to them mm -hmm. and stuff like that and just constantly is saving people all the time when he figures out shit him being such a badass and killing that other like with his hands literally tied behind his back yep <laughs> sweeping his legs catching his head and cracking his neck with his feet all wall bound like Oof. So much game, um, but yeah, I, yeah, it's like Saeed is the true hunter in that way, and that he is so gifted in violence, mm -hmm. but like he feels so guilty about it. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting too, because like I remember having talked to like you know, just like people who are fans of the show and whatnot. Like one of the kind of weird episodes that people cite as like oh one of the episodes that was like not so good at least in people's opinion. And I feel like I used to fall into this camp for some reason, as far as, like, flashbacks. Mm -hmm. Is people always thought that, like, the Saeed um, cat flashback episode was, like, bad and didn't cat make sense. flashback. This one where they go to the flame station and there's the cat there and it's about the oh, one where, like, uh -huh. the woman kidnapped him who yeah. had previously tortured. And, like, I totally didn't get it, but, like, now this time around I feel like I get it infinitely more and I'm almost, like, ashamed of my younger self for being, like, what? Like, I'm so dumb that I thought that was a bad flashback. Because that was a really good flashback. Yeah. Like, that was excellent. Mm -hmm. Like, for fleshing out Saeed's character and his history and all that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it relating to what was happening as far as, like, then why he decided to spare Mikhail. You know? Because he gets it. Like, he's been the cat that scratched somebody before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I thought that it was excellent. I just realized it's like, wow, I was just too dumb and young to get it, I guess, back then. <laughs> yeah, it was a r- not very clear, mm-hmm. I think. Like, I think it was a metaphor within a metaphor. Yeah. And so if you don't have that kind of, re- like, reasoning ability, mm-hmm. and you really don't when you're a teenager, yeah. then it kind of doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that would just be perceived as a bad episode. And the other thing, too, as far as, like, just, I think being more informed as far as, like, the structure of the show and why flashbacks happen when they do, mm-hmm. and that it is, I think, directly supposed to be that these characters are experiencing trauma. Mm-hmm. And the cat being a thing that, you know, when I was just a kid, it's like, why the fuck with the cat? The cat is stupid. <laughs> and, but then it's like, no, 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 the cat makes 100% sense. Like, that was the trauma trigger. Yeah. Of, like, you know, in the past, there was the cat, and that was the central part of the narrative of what the situation was. And then him being the situation of, like, going through this uns- unfamiliar scenario and then seeing that cat in that moment, that's why he has that flashback, is because it's like, wait, this is like that time. And then how it plays out very similarly, and then he gets to make this choice differently. And it's like, wow, yeah, I was way too young and dumb when I was a teenager, and now I get it. So, Saeed, cat episode, is good. Yes. In every aspect. Because I always thought the flame part was cool, but then the flashback part was just not. But then now it's like, oh no, the whole thing is... Yep. Yeah. But you want to know what's not good? Mm. Kate. Yeah, Kate starts to make her downfall in this season, unfortunately. It's like, for some reason, her and Sawyer, See, like, I, completely just fall apart and are relegated to love triangle status. I, and so, that's it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm also having a little bit of another realization of part of what happened is because there's a lot of things in season three that very much indicate that, like, they knew how the show was going to end by this point. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they necessarily did in a lot of the details back in season one right. or even in season two, but by now... They definitely had a lot of things clearly in place because you can see the foreshadowing very clearly at this point. And one of those things is the Kate and uh, Jack getting back together at some point. Mm-hmm. And so I think that part of the problem is they had to figure out a way to destroy the great Kate and Sawyer relationship that they were building and how well that was going. Because in season two, I think it was like, well, it's still early enough and we're still experimenting enough that we can just go with it and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And it went better than it. I think that they wanted it to. Yeah. And so then they had to figure out how to try and kill it. And the best way to kill it was just to make Kate really dumb and crazy and insecure and having to like, like have Jack's attention too. Yeah. And it's like, ugh, really? This is your solution? <sighs> yeah. Gross. Yeah. I don't like it. And it makes either that no or, either sense that or maybe it's just a bad writing decision. I don't know. Maybe it's just bad writing, but yeah. that, that to me is what it strikes as, is that it was like a really bad compromise and that they were like, all right, we have to eventually have Kate and Jack be a thing again. And I guess we need to start planting some seeds for that now. But like... But it makes no sense given her character. And I... Mm-hmm. I remember us talking about that back when we were talking about season one. It's like, yeah. to me, it makes no sense for Kate and Jack to be together, except that they're both the main lead characters of their individual genders. Mm-hmm. Because there is nothing about Kate that ever says, 
I want to be with this super toxic alpha male that has lots of daddy issues and just wants to tell me what to do all the time. Like, nothing about her character says that that's compatible with her. Right. Well, but there's there's also, like, so we have to filter this through, like, what do we know about Jack versus what does she know about Jack? Well, she knows that Jack just tells her what to do all the time and doesn't trust her abilities and constantly tries to relegate her to the damsel in distress... Not letting her carry the dynamite backpack, not letting her, or not wanting her to go out into the jungle on these various adventures, which she's yep. very capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah, just like, think, no, okay, don't go. See, actually, I think, yeah, probably very much in support of what you're saying, because um, I, I guess I wasn't factoring this much into consideration, but um, no, this makes sense. What I'm saying and you're saying blend together. Here's my thesis. <laughs> The episode that Nathan Fillion cameos in, where we yep. see that Kate is married for a short time, that shows exactly why she is still con- continuously attracted to Jack, because Jack and him represented acceptance by society. Mm-hmm. But she also, on a deep level, I think beyond that, in that situation, figured out that she knows that's not right for her. Mm-hmm. But she's also still kind of constantly still striving for that, because that's what she's been told she's supposed to want. Mm-hmm. So she's still on that level struggling between what she's been told, what she's supposed to want, and then trying to settle for that, which is Jack, Mm -hmm. versus just being happier with who she is and what she wants, which is being with Sawyer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Because, yeah, when she's like, taco night? This isn't me. I don't do taco night. I bet Jack would probably want taco night. Yes, yes. Jack would definitely want taco night. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and and so be like, fuck it, I don't care. Yeah. Let's eat whatever we want. Like, I had tacos for lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I feel like <laughs> Sawyer is also uh, a victim of this forced love triangle situation. Because mm-hmm. I feel like he's just all over the place and yet nowhere this season. Mm-hmm. Like... He gets back to the camp, and everyone's like, yay, he's back! And he's like, oh, I didn't think people actually would have missed me. Mm-hmm. And so then, oh, maybe it is worthwhile to kind of gear my way back into a, a, a place, right, in a community, mm-hmm. while kind of being manipulated by Hurley in order to do so. But right. he he goes for it, rather yeah. than just falling back into his season one-ness of fuck everybody I'm just out for me right and then really just kind of constantly following Kate around and being like hey why are you with me (laughs) yeah yeah it is really like it is really unfortunate how much more like Jack, Kate and Sawyer are all dragged down by the love triangle stuff because if if that weird drama didn't Exist. I feel like the show could be a lot better, and I guess for some reason that was just like, I don't, that's what, that was like a thing then. I don't know why, but that was the thing then. People like that kind of shit. I think love triangles are always gonna be a thing. I don't think they're as much of a thing now as they used to be though. Like, cause I feel like there was a time in like the mid two thousands where they were just like really, really hot. Like it yeah. was just in everything, and it was like the central storyline and things, and not just like part of a storyline mm-hmm. or like sometimes it's in stuff but it was just like everywhere and it was just like gross so it had to be part of this yeah. and 
I feel like it could have been a lot better without it. And also, one of the other things, um, I, I feel deeply conflicted because Sawyer is one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. And he brings us some of the best moments in the entire show. So I'm so glad that we do get to have him for a lot of the rest of the show. But yeah, for a lot of the later parts of season three, he does feel kind of directionless. Yeah. And even his kind of like getting the biggest like character payoff moment of him killing Sawyer mm-hmm. happens in a lock flashback episode. Yeah. Like, it's not even, like, he's a supporting character in that. Like, it it doesn't even feel like as big of a moment as it could be. It still feels big, and I think that it's good. Mm-hmm. But it just feels kind of like Sori does take a giant backseat. And I do really think that there is a, a version of Lost out there that could have been really, really narratively strong, even though it would make me very sad. For him to have died in early season three here, like mm-hmm. as a consequence in this war against the others, yeah. like after um, Colleen had died, and then if Pickett and like some of those other guys had like basically killed Sawyer in revenge or something, like I think that explored correctly could have been really, really good. Yeah, and I just based on what they did here in this season, mm-hmm. right? Because I remember very little yeah. of everything, so I'm. I'm solely focusing on this season by season. Yeah. But at least in this season, with what they did with him after he got back to the camp, like, mm-hmm. he might as well have died. Mm-hmm. Like, that would have been a more satisfying ending for his character mm-hmm. in this season. Yeah. Than just yeah, basically kind he of... Because he like, good comedy moments for a lot of season three years. Yeah, he Actually, does. The only yeah. other thing he does that is really good is that, like, for the Brown moment is killing Tom, getting revenge for taking yeah. Walt. Like, that's solid... Um, and I think my opinion will probably change again a little bit more once I think they started to figure out that like, oh crap, we do need to figure out something more to do with Sawyer again. Because mm-hmm. I, I do wonder how much they had this in plan, but with like season four and season five, him kind of like taking over a lot of Jack's role, mm-hmm. especially once Jack leaves the island in the season four finale. Like once everybody's skipping through time, like Sawyer becomes sort of like the leader of everybody who's trapped back in Darmanish's time. Mm-hmm. So... Maybe part of the things that happened here in season three were like foreshadowing leading up to that, as far as like building some of that foundation as mm-hmm. like being kind of the new leader. Right, but other than but, this one episode where Hurley manipulates him to being kind to people, he doesn't act like a leader. He's just mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. for most of the rest of the season. And then everything mm-hmm. else that happens to him is not under his own agency, mm-hmm. right? Like, even his peak revenge moment mm-hmm. is in somebody else's episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, like him getting conned, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, that was disappointing. I feel like they did Charlie good, though. Yeah, they did, they did Charlie very well, though, especially in his kind of final moments. Yeah. Yeah, I really feel like he stepped up. And I, and I really feel like in a lot of ways, sort of like kind of Charlie's um, self-sacrifice and decision to accept his own death is like the, the central thesis of Lost. If you were to look at it like, you know, here's the beginning and then here's the end and like where is the center point of Lost? This is the center point. Because mm-hmm. like there's so many different ramifications from this, right? Because it leads to them being able to leave and come back. It leads to the whole reuniting of Desmond and Penny. It also has, like, different um, effects as far as, like, within the camp, as far as, like, you know, Hurley being very sad by this, like, Claire having a completely yeah. different trajectory by this kind of a thing, 
which leads to Lynn Aaron having a different fate. Like, there's so many different things that happen from this. And also, just I feel like the way that it was built as far as, um, like, a lot of the other deaths that kind of happen, you know, they have far less foreshadowing and so much less, like, agency from that character in whether they die or not. Mm -hmm. And this sort of seemed to me, yeah, like, I guess it, if there was, like, the culmination of, like, the philosophy of Lost or something, right? And that, like, you are, you kind of, like, have a fate. Yep. But, like, ultimately you sort of have to accept it or something. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I guess fate will just fuck you in the ass or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. What is some Lost Central point when it comes to fate? I guess yeah, there's I, a point about fate versus a, a uh, mythology in the world. Because yeah. the mythology in the world is different than, I guess, what they might be saying about. Because, yeah, mythology, there's, like, nothing is... You can't escape it. But I think that what they're trying to say as far as the applicable thing to take away in the world is that, like... I think people have to be able to... Decide to sacrifice themselves at some point for something. Or, or it's like... Hmm, let me rephrase that. It's like at some point you're going to die, period, right? And mm -hmm. then you can either choose to make that sacrifice of your life for something or it can just kind of like happen and then you can just die. But it's like, I guess that takes a lot of work. I think the central thesis of the loss, what, like the, mm -hmm. their commentary on fate mm -hmm. is tied in with their thesis about faith. Mm-hmm. And they really push this concept of faith. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. that's what you need to have in your life. Whatever you're faithing. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a religion or a spiritual path or just like destiny or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like having faith in that what is going to happen is supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Is the path to happiness and acceptance of your destiny versus having no faith and then constantly just having to fight your way through life. Mm. I, that's my opinion. Mm. I suppose. And then, I suppose, right, like the opposite perspective being represented by Jack who's just always fighting all the time. Yes. Because when I look at thus far, mm. I don't remember the rest of the show, at the characters who have accepted their fate and are acting in good faith, mm -hmm. right? Like they are acting because they believe that what they're doing is for a greater good or a bigger destiny. Mm -hmm. Locke, Echo, Charlie, Hurley sometimes, like, like these characters are very peaceful in their journeys. Versus those who are constantly fighting because they have no faith in anything. Mm -hmm. Jack, Kate, Sawyer, Saeed, like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so their character arcs are very tumultuous. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of emotional intensity. Ah. Mm -hmm. well, I guess it's kind of echoing to what the. Uh... With the season, I think it was when, yeah, we had the Hurley flashback episode scene with his dad mm -hmm. and the Hurley van. He was saying, you know, you make your own luck. Yep. So, yeah, I guess that'd be kind of what they're saying, right? Mm hmm Is that, uh, yeah, you make your own luck as far as then you choose the way that you are going to either decide to see whether there are patterns in the world or not, yep. whether you're going to have hope 
that things could turn out better yeah. or all that. Yeah, there, there, that whole flashback episode I thought would had a really confusing message because mm-hmm. I feel like what they were trying to say is not that you make your own luck, but that luck is about perception. Mm-hmm. And Hurley was looking at everything that was happening as bad luck, that it yep. was cursed. And then his mom, his financial advisor, his dad were all seeing all of these terrible things as good things, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, Uncle Tito died because he was old. He had a heart attack and died. And your chicken shack got hit by a meteor, and then you made so much more money off of the insurance. And... You know, like, yes, I, I broke my ankle because accidents happen. And look, your dad came back into your life. Like, mm-hmm. like it's been a balance of good and bad things. It's not mm-hmm. just one big curse. Right, because yeah, he just only focuses on the bad. Yeah. So, I feel like that episode wasn't very well written. <laughs> as far it was, as It could have been cleaner. Yeah, illustrating like, the point that they were trying to make. I, I still think it was... But, but you're, I guess what you're saying is the verbiage could have been maybe better. But yeah, I, I still feel like the overall kind of impression was still good. And that, yeah, it, was, it is about outlook. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like good things happen, bad things happen. Or just more important, it's like things just happen. Yeah. And then you can assign good or bad value to those things. Obviously, there's certain things that's good or bad, I guess, mm-hmm. period. But then more so than that, you can kind of really choose to focus more on the good or the bad. Yeah. I guess that's more of really right. right. You yeah. can just, where do you focus? Yeah. And then when you focus on the good things, mm-hmm. that's how you start to build faith, mm-hmm. right? Because at the end of the episode, Hurley gets in the van and he's like, we're going to push this down the hill and it's going to start. Yeah. He has no, like everything that everyone has been telling him all day is that this is not going to work and you're yeah. going to crash against those rocks and you're going to die. Yeah. But he gets in that car and he's like, no, I, be- I believe that this is going to turn out okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like because he he knows one thing about cars. It's like this could help, yeah. so I I believe that it will. Right. And yeah, I guess it's enough because so, island magic. So that to me is the thesis of Lost: is mm-hmm. <laughs> have faith. Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of like like accepting the ambiguity and being able to lead or read a little bit of positivity into it, and that like maybe things will turn out well. Because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's like there is no ability to get past ambiguity, right? Yeah. Which is part of the frustration of people like Saeed and Jack and mm-hmm. whatnot who just want all the answers. Yeah. Want it to be black and white. And the world isn't. Yeah. Just not. And that is... Now, now that we're actually talking about this whole the- thesis of black and white and grayness, mm-hmm. I think this season as a whole did really well. Mm-hmm. When previously, right, our two tribes were black and white. Mm-hmm. The Losties are the good guys and the others are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And then in this season, we actually get to see, oh, there's a whole lot of gray going on. Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of misunderstanding. And a whole lot of misunderstanding. And a whole lot of lying. Because <laughs> that, that's the other thing to give it to. It's like, man, so much of this misunderstanding could have just been avoided if Ben had just maybe 
send a messenger, just talk to these people. Yeah. Instead of just being a fucking crazy, controlling, psycho asshole, but that's how he is with his own people, so it's like, how is he going to be honest with these people, you know? Because yeah. that's, that's the nature of continuing this uh, puppet regime mm-hmm. that he's got going on. Yeah. And clearly, Jag didn't learn anything from Sawyer's flashbacks. Because... <laughs> Otherwise, he would have told everybody when they first got there that Juliet is going to be a triple agent. Mm-hmm. And that, yes, she's here because the others told her that she had to be here for this reason. But she's going to do what she has to do to continue to make the others think that while helping us, like, double-cross them, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But Jack's just like, oh, no, I'm just not going to tell anybody. And mm-hmm. Well, the, the thing that, I guess... Um... I, this is actually this, this speaks a lot to I think Juliet's character is I think based on the timeline of things Juliet was originally still working with Ben and the others because she still thought that was her best way to get off the island however once she got with the uh, Losties she claims she told Jack what was she was doing so Jack didn't know about her double agent mm-hmm. status until after she had taken Sun to the medical station so when Juliet realized that if she was going to be basically continue to play Ben's game, mm-hmm. which she knew what was going to happen, then that means another pregnant woman is dead. And she was like, I'm not having that fucking happen to me again. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck Ben. He's been promised me to get off this island for three years. It's not happened. I'm going to go with Jack to see if he can get me off this island because I think there's a better shot because I know that Ben's a fucking liar. Mm-hmm. And that was when she trade and join groups because then she's like no like I need to get Sun off this island I need to get me off this island and I have a better shot with these people than I do with Ben mm-hmm. and also knowing there's a pregnant woman involved like yeah I can't have another pregnant woman with yeah. blood on my hands again and that was part of I think why she was so focused on explaining the um, why she was going to do what she did to uh, Sawyer and Saeed the way that she did mm-hmm. is right because she I think she views all those pregnant women's death is her fault. Yeah. Like, she didn't do her science well enough or something. Mm-hmm. Like, she hasn't figured out the mysteries of the island yet. Like, it's her fault. And so then, yeah, that's when she turned. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, but then Jack should have immediately afterwards then been like, oh, hey guys, this is what's up. Yeah. Instead of being a dipshit. But, I don't know, I guess dipshit maybe... Dipshit control freak. Yeah. I mean, I guess he should have known... Because you could have just asked Juliet, like, hey, is there anybody in our group that's a mole for you? And then she could have just confirmed there's not. Yeah. Because that would be the only reason that you wouldn't tell everybody else is because you'd be worried about a mole. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, if you could confirm there wouldn't be. He should have told everybody sooner. Yeah. But I guess that's part of the drama of the show or something. Because they had to start having more distrust with him or something. Well, and it's... A logical progression since mm-hmm. that was half of what was all the shit in season one is mm-hmm. people just not communicating their findings yeah. to everybody very true so it's really just a continuation of the same old problem mm-hmm. for some reason everybody agrees that everybody shouldn't have all of the information mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it leads for it leads for good drama and good storylines. And there's yeah, different informations that people have. Otherwise, the show would just be them sitting around the campfire every night with, okay, what did we all learn today? 
okay, so then now what are we going to do about it? <laughs> Let's process our feelings. <laughs> That's too much peaceful hippie shit. Mm-hmm. We need to have action and drama and secrets. Because, yeah, if, 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 if things were, like, way more kosher, the way that uh, the story of Lost would have happened is that... Um, Ben would have had cancer. Uh, he would have um, sent, like, yeah, I guess he probably just would have gone to Los Angeles. They're like, hey, uh, I hear you're a really good spinal surgeon. Can you do surgery on me? Yeah. Like, okay, sure. And then he would have done it, and then he would have gone home, and then it would have been over. <laughs> there would have been no plane crash. There would have been no war between feuding factions. There would have been none of, like, just, <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> I need a doctor. <laughs> and then he would have done that. <laughs> but no. Lost had to happen. But the show has to happen. But the show has to happen. <laughs> we have to have a magic island with the button and the world ending uh, explosions. That if you don't press the button every 108 minutes, yeah. the world will end because there's a, a life. Give it over. We can't get into all that. That's season six and stuff. Yep. So no, put a put a put, put a, a cork in it. <laughs> put a cork in the cork. Can't talk about the cork yet. Nope. But yeah, um, this finale is one of the coolest finales too. I think as far as like the direct payoffs that happen here. Mm-hmm. As far as like the, I think the the win in the war against the others feels very satisfying in the moment. Yeah. Because. Like, in the long-term picture, we can see how much more it is it is kind of this weird misunderstanding and almost like a failure in a way. But at the time, with what limited things you have, it's like, yes, these fucking people who stole Walt off the raft in season one and orchestrated Michael's betrayal that killed Anna Lucia and Libby and all that shit in season two and had our main characters captured. Now those motherfuckers, yeah, beat you. Now you're dead. <laughs> Tom is shot. Ben is beaten up and captured. Yeah! And we're getting off this island! And the, the remnants of those people, like the cool ones, lock us in control of them now. Alright. Our people, yeah. our losties, have won. We win! And then immediately they just rip the curtain, or the rug under from our, under our legs with keeping, or Jack saying to Kate, We have to go back! It was a mistake. We, we have, have to, to go, go back, back. Kate! <laughs> yep. So yeah, yeah, I guess now in season four we have to discover why we have to go back. Yes, although I do have to give a quick shout out before we end this, uh, because I was still so amazed that this happened back in season three when this was happening live with the finale. Uh, my cousin who was watching this show figured out that the flash forward was a flash forward way before even like the really good drop hint where like uh, you know we have the whole like old. If you go find my father and he's if he's as drunk as I am, yeah. that was I think the big one for like a lot of people were paying attention. It's like, wait, what the hell? This isn't ha- like this is the future. Yeah. This is what the hell? But like my cousin figured out that this is a flash forward because of the phone that Jack had the first time he calls Kate and she doesn't answer because the phone was too new. It was like a 2006 or 2007 model phone or something, and it's like, wow. So, the details, the level of details they had on the show, too, to even have the correct years of cell phones for the flash-forwards versus flashbacks yep. just shows you the level of care that the writers had for the show, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Every little detail mm. was taken into consideration. Part of what makes this show so awesome. Yeah. 
Well, not every nook and cranny, but most of them. <laughs> All right. Especially for its time. I think it was like unprecedentedly good for its time. Yeah. And a lot of things have been learned from it to make even better. Mm-hmm. Well, not even better, but other good shows in the future. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other uh, closing season three thoughts before journeying on? Because I think this is probably the last season that I'm going to be giving a lot of sweeping praise. I think it's going to start going downhill a little bit more if I remember going into season four. Yeah, well, I remember this being the 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 peak lost season because back when it came out, like right after this was when the writer's strike happened. Mm-hmm. And that's when I feel like the show kind of went... So... I'm enjoying the height that was season three and all of the, the drama and the excitement and the mysteries. And I'm also kind of holding my breath because I'm like, oh, I remember it not being good after this. So we'll see. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see how well season four holds up. Yeah. Taken into context. Mm-hmm. How well it holds up. Yeah, and uh, ironically, the introduction of what I was um, definitely at the time being labeled as kind of like the Fantastic Four parodies of people, because like the four people that drop onto the island here in season four with like Faraday, Charlotte, uh, Miles, and Lapidus mm-hmm. are definitely kind of like clear parallels to like Mr. Fantastic for Faraday with the scientist, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. the Invisible Woman with Charlotte, uh, Miles Strom being like the uh, Human Torch, and then Lapidus being like the uh, uh, the, thing. the thing, yeah. Okay. Kind of personality-wise. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember any of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to relearning it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. These people come in as basically like three people that are there, essentially narratively to like draw out and uh, figure out the history and mysteries of the island, and then their helicopter pilot to get them there and back. <laughs> Onward. Onward. Thank you.